All right. Uh, good evening, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to attend AWS reInvent 2019. My name is Karthik Odapalli. I'm a senior solutions architect in AWS, uh, focusing on Amazon.com as a customer. And I have with me here today uh, Jared Treat. He's a software development manager for Prime Video in Amazon.com. And he'll be coming up later on stage uh, for the other half of the presentation. Today, we're going to be talking about how Prime Video processes 8% of all US internet traffic on AWS using AWS technologies. So before I jump into the agenda, can I get a quick show of hands? How many of you heard of AWS? <laughs> awesome. This is going to make our conversation so much easier. So in today's agenda, we're going to talk about how it all started, uh, talk about the team, what they do, the depth of the team, and the scope of what they do. Um, talk about some challenges, what were the initial challenges that happened in the original architecture, how did the evolution happen, uh, do a platform overview. Um, then we're going to talk about how we uh, work with downstream dependencies, and that's our section on sharing is caring, uh, where we like, you know, enrich data for our downstream dependencies. And then we're going to talk about the next big thing that Prime Video is doing or will start doing tomorrow morning, um, and then uh, where do we go next from there. So. Any marvelous Mrs. Maisel fans in the, in, the, in the audience today? Yay. Awesome. Yeah, my wife and I watch it always. Um, so if you look at Prime Video as a platform, um, it's available in over 250 countries. And you can imagine the breadth of the platform as to how much data do we gather in near real time, or actually real time, from millions of devices. So if you look at how, uh, where Prime Video is available, uh, it's available on iPads, uh, iPhones, uh, on Roku's and smart TVs, on the web. There's so many platforms, and we have so much data that's coming in across every corner, every platform, that the platform itself is very, very, very big. And then, if you look at the size of the data itself, this is roughly about 8% of uh, bits delivered uh, over the internet on any given day in the United States. That's the size of the data. And then, obviously, you know, if you're all familiar with Jack Ryan, um, again, a very popular show. And if you look at the amount of viewers and subscribers who watch this uh, video on the platform, it's millions and millions of uh, TPS. So Jared's team here, uh, they own the telemetry platform on Prime Video. And uh, the business growth, as you've seen, we've expanded into 250 countries. The business growth should match the tech growth. So that's why evolution is critical in your architectures when, uh, they, when your business goals align with your technology goals. And then, how, do, how does Prime Video constantly innovate on behalf of customers? Yes, we have awesome content like Jack Ryan, but what about the technology powering behind uh, all these uh, awesome shows? So we need to evolve our technology and architectures as we get new shows on the platform and more subscribers. And what it means to be truly global. How do we address 250 countries, or how do we serve content in 250 countries? And also, most of these countries, the English is not the main language. We have subtitles, or in certain cases, there's live translation as well. How does the platform do that? So if you look at the challenges on the video on demand platform, where we serve all of our catalog, um, we have millions of TPS. Like I said, the different devices that we have on um, iPads and iOS, Android, uh, smart TVs, they constitute to millions of TPS uh, that come into the telemetry platform. 
And we also have, since we have so many devices and device types and also legacy devices, like you know, Android is constantly evolving, iOS is constantly evolving. So we need to have custom encoding in place to match every manufacturer's hardware and software and have custom encoding in place for all these types of devices. And as I said, thousands of devices. We need to, we even support, if I remember correctly, one of the first generation or even the second generation Roku devices. We always ensure that you know, we're constantly serving for our customers over here. And then we have millions of titles. As you're aware, it's not just the two shows we talked about. We have millions of content, movies, regional movies. Like we have a huge catalog of Bollywood movies on Prime Video. Um, so they're, and they're always coming in. So how do we serve a platform? Or what are the challenges do we have on a platform uh, for video on demand? Next, we're going to look at um, the next big challenge was Prime Video won the streaming rights for Thursday Night Football, or uh, National Football League here in America. So that changes the telemetry landscape entirely. Previously, we were looking at a catalog video. Okay, we had a catalog that we got from Amazon Studios, or partners of Amazon Prime Video. But now, with live sports, the ball game is completely different. You're now moving from a catalog-based model, business model, to a streaming model. And we will actually look, we will discuss in further what those challenges are uh, for a live platform. The first thing was uh, dependency on providers. So as you can tell, like we Prime Video partnered with NFL, and we had this dependency to get the live feed from these stadiums from providers like NFL, or um, in in Europe we you know we partner with Sky Network. So we have this dependency, the single point of dependency from these partners, and how do we build resiliency or redundancy around those single points of interface? Next, scaling limitations. With video catalog, we did have data on um, how, how many users are projected to watch this show, you know, based on some other similar shows, things of that nature. But with live, um, you really can, uh, there are some scaling limitations. You cannot predict how many people will watch your live stream. I mean, you can do it, but you cannot get to the dot like uh, in, on the catalog side of things. So, uh, and also, caching is of limited value in streaming. With catalog, we could cache it, put it on the CDN. But live streaming, it's a different ballgame. Next, unpredictable traffic patterns. Since it's a streaming platform, the amount of live viewers, you know, they kind of go up, up and down, and it's slightly unpredictable or spiky traffic. So these challenges are, again, very different from WAD. And then real-time analytics. When, we have, when you're dealing with a streaming platform, we, we need to look at real-time analytics, a data point that comes in two minutes after an error has happened is kind of irrelevant because now we had few customers who were, you know, had issues for two minutes. So real-time analytics is absolutely critical when you're dealing with a live streaming platform. So it's not just the end users who are the uh, de dependents on this particular telemetry platform. We also have internal teams uh, who subscribe and create dashboards on the telemetry that we gather on both the WAD platform and also on the live platform. We also have uh, business intelligence engineers. Uh, we have many uh, redshift clusters and compute instances that are constantly enriching the data that this telemetry uh, platform uh, loads into the system, and they consume. So they are the consumers or the downstream dependencies uh, for this telemetry platform. And then, as always, we always have those folks you know, who love to send reports over email. You know, we have the email subscribers as well. 
Um, and then we also have Amazon Studios who depend on the telemetry data that we gather from all the VOD and the live traffic. So Amazon Studios is constantly uh, interested in, hey, how many people watched uh, you know, Jack Ryan on launch day? How many people watched, the, uh, watched uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, on the day of a new season launch? So this kind of data, telemetry data, is constantly, we have many downstream dependencies who are consuming this data. And to talk about the actual platform and the architecture, I'm going to have Jared come up on stage. The introduction, Karthik. And welcome, everyone, to our session. I'm Jared Treat, a software development manager in the Amazon Prime video space. And as Karthik mentioned, I own our telemetry platform. So circa, you know, four or five years ago, we had a stack that probably looked like a lot of people out there. We had EC2 instances, we had reserved instances, and we pretty much bought as many as we needed to handle our peak load at any given point in time, shoved all of our data into Redshift, and kind of called it a day as a platform. But with this live challenge, we needed to be able to be far more elastic in the whole you know, AWS world. So we set out to really kind of think about what could we do to evolve our platform and move it into an entirely new direction. So uh, with the concept of TNF, we basically took it as an opportunity to start over from scratch, really, and design something completely built around AWS and all of the new solutions that they had available. So at this time, it was really kind of the start of the serverless compute uh, technology stuff. So what we did was we evaluated kind of our pipeline and uh, looked at like the offerings that were out there in terms of uh, managed services. So we knew first we needed to accept like a series of public uh, APIs. So we set up an API gateway. It was really efficient in terms of creating an endpoint out there. Um, you can actually directly um, integrate with several other AWS services, including Amazon uh, Kinesis, which is what we ended up doing. Prior to this, in our old stack, we had kind of relied on the traditional synchronous call pattern of HTTP. Somebody calls in, you call another service. But that introduces a lot of one latency, but also, um, more importantly, it really kind of surfaces problems of potential availability issues. So if anything down the line there failed, you'd get an error all the way up, and um, you know, your whole stack would kind of become unavailable, and you'd lose data over time. So with our new platform, what we wanted to do was move to some type of queuing architecture. So we evaluated Kinesis, we evaluated SQS. Um, either one of them would have worked for us, but we really kind of wanted to go with a more streaming data model. Um, so after some POCs, we decided to go the Kinesis route. And it worked out really well because it has a direct integration, like I said, with Amazon API Gateway. So from there, um, the next logical step was, well, we have this Kinesis data stream. Uh, it automatically, again, hooks right into uh, uh, AWS Lambda. So Lambda, for those of you who don't know, is effectively um, you know, containers in the cloud, serverless. You don't have to worry about your end of the hood. You just deploy a very simple application. Um, it spins them up dynamically. With Kinesis, how it works is you basically get one Lambda invocation for every one Kinesis shard that you have. So it was a pretty easy way to scale one thing, and we could scale the whole platform overall. Um, from there, after we did a bunch of processing uh, on our side, uh, we do validation and things like that within our Lambda function. We would put data out to, uh, again, with uh, Kinesis Data Firehose, 
uh, onto S3 as a way to persist this data for a long period of time. This again had a very natural integration. You could do it directly from like the CLI and Lambda. It was really easy. Uh, once data was available on S3, we were then able to kind of have it available for long terms of period. And uh, one of the other things is uh, technology that called AWS Glue. So Glue is effectively a way to put a catalog on top of your uh, S3 data. So you can basically turn it into a database. Um, so you can have like an unstructured JSON object, Parquet, whatever you want to store the file as under the hood. Um, and then Glue is basically just a mapping for how to turn that structure into select column A from table Y. Uh, and then on top of that, we have Amazon Athena, which is another nice serverless compute technology. It basically is um, you know, dynamic EMR clusters provisioned and managed by AWS that at any given time you can assign your query to it. It'll contact your Glue catalog and query your S3 data source. And for all intents and purposes, we had no hardware anymore, uh, which was pretty cool. And uh, I have to say, this worked amazingly well right up until we started testing it. So that's where things got a little more interesting. Once we actually started to throw some load uh, at this, what we ended up seeing was some scaling limitations. So our uses as well uh, is one pretty large with uh, Prime Video. So serverless was very new at the time, and we were very new to it. So it ends up being one of those, the right tool for the right job type things. And unfortunately, a lot of the choices that we found we made were not exactly the right ones for their job at our scale and the elasticity of uh, and burst nature of our traffic that we wanted to handle. So we kind of went back to the drawing board. We took uh, some of our learnings and we kind of reevaluated what was out there uh, and available overall. And what we ended up going with was, well, a tried and true way to one, get data into the system is kind of go through the traditional routes of uh, Amazon Route 53, DNS, directly to NALB. Uh, we did choose to use uh, application load balancers instead of classic load balancers. Um, doesn't make too much of a difference, but it scales a lot more linearly uh, on the back end. Uh, and from there, instead of a Lambda to kind of process all that stuff up front, uh, or API Gateway, rather, to do it for us, we went directly into EC2. This was a kind of an unfortunate step for us because we really liked the API Gateway flow if you could just queue data directly into uh, Kinesis, but unfortunately with this type of architecture, we needed a service that does that. So our front-end ingestion service basically ended up being a very lightweight version of um, get data, serialize it, make sure it complies to the public API specification, and then pass it on into Kinesis. And from there, we largely consider it success. Um, anything else that goes wrong in the pipeline, um, we can come back up later as long as we get it within our kind of 24-hour window of Kinesis. Um, we can survive an outage without any data loss, and that was a huge win for us. Um, so again, uh, we got data into Kinesis. One of the things we had to um, kind of learn through this process was how do we tune Kinesis shards? Um, one of the big things is Kinesis has a limit of one megabyte per second per shard of data going through. So it's very important that you not only um, understand what your peak loads are, but you also um, understand how compression works with your data, um, what like the maximum rate is, because there's no auto scaling with that type of technology. So uh, in this particular case, uh, what we had to do was a lot of load testing, generate artificial traffic, see what the traffic patterns would look like, and tune like our overall number of shards to our correct peak performance. 
Um, from there, we sent back into another EC2 service. Uh, this was largely responsible for validation and enrichment. So we would take things like you sent you know, an ASIN, which is kind of an Amazon's content identifier uh, that most of the things on our retail site use. We would then look up, oh, that ASIN means it's Jack Ryan, you know, season one, episode two, things like that. Um, we'd enrich geodata um, from like IP level information, other things like that that would kind of enrich the data and make it more consumable to our downstreams. Uh, from there, we'd again toss it back onto Kinesis because if you haven't got it by now, that's pretty much what we use for our central bus for everything. Um, and again, put it into another um, processing layer. So this one was largely responsible for transforming our kind of in-memory data model into um, like our output uh, that we wanted to put onto S3. Uh, and that's largely what it did. Wrote to S3, uh, we used, again, um, uh, glue or combination of EMR to write data from there uh, and largely read it back out. And that flow pretty much worked exactly like how our first intended um, setup was. Um, one of the pain points we did run into was uh, once we started getting a lot of data, you'll notice that um, uh, in particular at our volumes, uh, Athena started to get issues um, scanning the volume of data that we have. So Athena works great for ad hoc uh, scenarios, especially when um, you can kind of kind of find them the data to a, a certain window uh, of time. Um, but we were getting, you know, when we wanted to do long running business analytics, uh, it wasn't quite working out as well uh, in those cases. So uh, we ended up spinning up EMR clusters, running the same uh, thing under the hood, Presto, where we could actually uh, directly close or control our scaling factors and scale it to like the size of data that we had. So we launched this uh, in 2017 to handle our first season of Thursday Night Football. Uh, and we had some pretty cool stats from it. The first one was we did over 10 billion events just for the first Thursday night video alone. We didn't have this platform out there for anything else. It was only for this kind of one event. Uh, we had real-time visibility into our metrics for the first time with a stream processing pipeline. Uh, in addition to writing to S3, we were able to write to some time series uh, uh, databases that we host internally at Amazon where we were able to see um, literally within seconds as data came in and emit metrics on it so that we could see any errors in time in the game. We were able to uh, persist data to S3 in about two minutes. The only kind of bottleneck there was that the volume of data we had, we had to batch uh, files actually uh, on our EC2 host before we persisted them to S3 or we would uh, exceed the uh, S3 rate limitations. Uh, and overall, um, we scaled to over 1 million TPS on the service in game one alone just for this event. But there were some pain points. Uh, for one, we were effectively running two stacks. We set up this whole thing and it was only out there for Thursday night football and none of our other traffic was coming into it. So that was obviously uh, not a great thing. Uh, maintaining two platforms is slow, inefficient, and expensive, uh, obviously. Uh, the queries were still really slow. So even though we'd spun up uh, direct Presto um, EMR clusters uh, specific for the use case, uh, we hadn't really done a lot of optimization. Uh, this is the first time we really moved to S3 as a storage mechanism versus kind of a traditional redshift. Um, we wanted to look into that. And we had limited tooling, honestly. We just launched this platform. It was pretty new to us. And a lot of like our integration points and like internal tools that we own and surface to our customers 
um, we're kind of lacking integration at this point. So from here, naturally, we evolved the platform, tried to address the, some of these uh, issues. So the first thing that we did was we had to make it smarter. So we basically took in data and we wrote it out to S3 and then we had this very kind of raw data set. So somebody clicked pause, somebody clicked play, their buffer is this full, um, which is great when you want a lot of data in terms of um, you know, how uh, performant are you right now. We do a lot of uh, integrations with our sister teams in terms of optimizing your video delivery experience. We send data in real time to those platforms um, so that they can control your uh, do like traffic engineering, move you from um, one CDN to another, um, as well as bitrate adoption, so uh, higher, lower video bit rates, things like that. Uh, but what we needed was really an aggregated data set. Uh, and what this meant, unfortunately, was we were gonna have to add state to the whole system. So we get batches of events in from all these devices streaming out there, uh, and we added, uh, effectively, a state machine that sits in there. So we had to keep track of what was your previous state for this batch, uh, so we could see kind of a starting point and then process all the events that came in in the new batch, and any transition there is basically um, a new KPI for us. So it could have been you rebuffered, got the spinner of doom, it could have been you know you fatal out, or it could have been you know something good like we upped your um, uh, resolution, so now you're streaming in HD instead of SD, things like that. All those are metrics that we use the stream processor to kind of really drive. So this obviously uh, turned into a bit of an explosion. So from uh, everything that we'd previously built here, we basically added this entirely new pipeline. So once again, um, you know, Kinesis, uh, we basically take that for uh, everything we do. So the same output that we had from our uh, kind of S3 data source, we just used as an input into this new flow. Um, from there, we added this uh, kind of aggregation service uh, that we really use a combination of two things. So we have DynamoDB for long-term persistent state. So whenever we get a new session start, we get a lot of contextual information about it. Who you are, what that uh, you know, title is that you're watching, what device you're on, what kind of bit rate and things like that you're entitled to. We store all this contextual information on the back end in Dynamo for when you actually do stream. And then once you start that streaming, uh, you constantly report into our backend service. And those are the state transitions that I mentioned before. We store these in ElastiCache as a more real-time volatile store. Uh, both of these uh, systems combined worked really well for us um, to kind of uh, manage that both long-running um, persistent state as well as like the short-term volatile state. And this is really, again, going back to our you know, previous lesson of pick the right tool for the right job. We tried kind of putting both of these into one thing to kind of reduce the complexity of our architecture, but we ended up finding it was a lot more like operationally uh, burdensome to actually um, maintain one thing that didn't do the other half of what it was trying to do well. Uh, and we split it up into two. So from there, we wanted to really expand our tool set. So um, we again send data out into uh, Kinesis and process it and put it into uh, Elasticsearch service. So this is you know, similar to what you could probably do for logs and things like that. 
we actually put all of our real-time telemetry data in that system, which gives us the ability to search through all the sessions that are going on there, put up visualizations, dashboards, things like that, uh, that kind of give real-time insights into the data without having to actually query the, the underlying data with SQL and S3 and all of that. It's all in memory, indexed, very fast. Um, the other thing we did was actually persist this new data set to S3. So, um, the aggregated data was much smaller. It was less than 1% of all of the um, like individual event data that comes into the system. So uh, this actually really like, sped up our overall um, kind of analytics reporting uh, pipeline. Uh, and the other thing, metrics. So we punched a bunch of stuff down into CloudWatch. Um, we are not only the telemetry platform for ourselves, and we have internal metrics, but we also support the metrics for the entire Prime Video organization in terms of like, how healthy is the service right now. Um, we really kind of went all in on a kind of CloudWatch to set up automated alarms for really the entire organization. So with our uh, updated platform, even though we added a bunch more stuff here, uh, we actually really maintained our overall um, kind of throughput with the system. So to get data into our Elasticsearch service, even though it goes through a bunch of uh, steps along the way, only has a two-second lag from when we first ingest data out um, at the edge. Uh, we're able to process hundreds of billions of events every single day, hour really even, um, and uh, keep up with that data in real time. And yep, at this point, we scaled the system up to not only just take all this traffic from Thursday Night Football, but we onboarded all of our VOD use cases as well. And we are now ingesting petabytes of data every single week and trying to query across all of that is its own fun challenge. But there were still some things uh, that you know, we wanted to get better with this architecture. So one, our aggregated data sets is delayed. While we had to, we can write to it really quickly, um, we have to wait for like the persistence of uh, the whole session to actually end in order to write data out to S3, because as you know, it's an immutable data source. So we can either write a bunch of data uh, immediately and then have to dedupe all that data, which we ended up doing, uh, but that's another costly uh, exercise. Or you can wait till the end and only write it once, um, which is good in terms of not having to clean up all that stuff over time, but not so good in terms of uh, you wanna know what's going on right now in the system and it's not available there. So this was really kind of a balance in frugality versus availability. Um, we ended up trying to strike a, a middleman balance there where uh, we write to uh, S3 and then we were able to, again, use uh, AWS Glue actually to do a lot of the simplification, uh, the simplification process and like deduping of records for us. Uh, Glue now has uh, um, uh, Glue transformation like machine learning stuff uh, where you can give it like a specific ID and it, it can even without an ID um, detect like similarities in rows and group them together and automatically author a new data set on top of that. That worked out really well for us. Um, and then the challenges of building a data lake. So once we got all this data coming in, um, people really wanted to get access to it. And uh, we had built a lot of stuff on how to get data in and how to like, you know, ingest it in real time and not really so much on how to share it with everybody else. So that's our next section. Sharing is caring. We wanted to uh, really build a first-class platform that would allow us to share data in real time, um, just like we wanted to ingest it in real time. 
So again, coming from everything else that we've built up until this point, we have a Kinesis stream, once again, coming in through. Uh, one of the changes that we decided to make, actually, however, um, was we wanted to move to a new platform um, for kind of our aggregation. So we moved to uh, Kinesis Data Analytics. Uh, it's basically a way to run uh, Flink in a managed uh, infrastructure. So um, Flink is a popular open source uh, stream processing application. We use that to kind of split what uh, that one aggregation service was doing because it was really kind of getting to a point where it was doing too much and kind of getting a little monolithic on us. So what we wanted to do was split it into two phases. So phase one is simply taking the data, all these raw events that we have, and try and map them to something that like means something. So the fact that your session stopped playback um, and then resumed it three seconds later, but there was no interaction from the customer uh, saying that they wanted to stop or pause or things like that meant that you had a rebuffer. So we took that logic and kind of um, built a state machine specifically around that, and that was our first uh, uh, Kinesis State Analytics uh, pipeline. From there, we separated out the aggregation port, or portion of that into something else. So uh, the fact that you now had a rebuffer was the input, and then we would actually keep track of your overall session state um, which we key off something just as simple as like your customer ID. So no matter you know who you are or like what device you're streaming on at any time, we can join uh, those sessions back together. So if you switch from you know watching on your iPhone to watching on your Fire TV, uh, we can like see that change, merge those uh, data sets together, and kind of see it's one continuous playback of the same content for the same user. Um, from there, we kind of split, are split into this uh, fan out service. And this is really kind of uh, an interesting thing that we developed that basically lets uh, our customers self-service. So there's a web UI where people can come in and basically set up a transformation. So we have a data model internally, um, and we allow people to basically set up an external data model. So whatever you want, uh, and then you just provide a mapping very similar to Glue where you can say, I want to say, you know, column A from your data model and move it into column B in my data model. Obviously, there's lots of fields there. It's nested, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and it's pretty complicated. But uh, overall, that's you know, kind of the simplified version of it. Uh, it was a way for them to transform their data and then additionally select a mechanism that they wanted to output that data to. So the three that we wanted to support right out of the gates were obviously the ones that were more useful to us, too, because we wanted to actually not only make this a platform for other people, but make it the platform that we use for writing data out, too. That way it can actually uh, evolve over time and isn't just going to be this forgotten extra thing we built for our partners. So we wanted three supports. So the first one is obviously uh, S3, popular way to share data, uh, persistent for long periods of time. So uh, and when you're registering with us, you can set up a bucket, an ARN, an IAM role um, uh, with the service, and we will automatically write the data that you have um, persisted or transformed, or we've transformed for you based on your definition, to your own S3 bucket, and you can do whatever you want with it. You can set up your own Lambda process on there. You can just set up uh, you know, Glue and Athena and read directly from it, uh, and you don't have to manage all the infrastructure of getting data into the system. Uh, another one that has obviously been near and dear to our hearts through uh, this whole process is Kinesis data, or data Streams. So if you just want a direct feed of data into your system where you can do your own processing, uh, move things on, uh, whatever it ends up being, 
this was a way for us to uh, basically give people data similar to how we pass it through our systems. And so we can kind of have this kind of long, continuous stream of data uh, across multiple teams, multiple platforms, and give everyone else the benefit of real-time streaming data as well. Uh, the third one we wanted to support is, again, uh, Elasticsearch. So um, we needed to write to it for our use case, and obviously a lot of our customers uh, are interested in uh, visualizations of data as well. They don't want to have to go through things like SQL, where they have to write their own queries, spin up their own compute, uh, all of those things. So um, we wanted to support this, again, as a first-class citizen. And with this, we'd pretty much you know, established all of our uh, baseline goals for the platform. So naturally, there was the next big thing that came and you know, ruined our day and rained on our parade. Um, but uh, it was actually really kind of gratifying to see how well uh, what we had built um, was able to tackle this challenge. And that is English Premier League. So similar to um, you know, Thursday Night Football, uh, EPL is changing the uh, scene once again for us. Uh, we're actually starting streaming this tomorrow in the UK. So uh, if you guys end up heading home or you have friends out there, feel free to have them tune in. We are actually the exclusive source for 17 EPL games uh, throughout December, which is a pretty big deal for us because uh, this is going to take our scaling to uh, a level that like, we haven't really seen before globally even um, within one region, which, as you know, is problematic. So what are the things that we really wanted to scale up for uh, EPL. One, we needed a better way to do um, like all of our queries. Uh, so we had come you know, with Athena, we got it there, we had a kind of custom one-off uh, solution for EMR, and it kind of worked for like our big reports, but uh, it didn't really have like the speed that we really wanted um, with that. So what we ended up doing was kind of rolling our own pseudo um, you know, Athena-based type solution where we had multiple EMR clusters that we set up uh, and we set up a web UI in front of it where we can kind of have a like, managed controller that basically uh, will see which clusters are available, route your uh, specific query to it, uh, and be able to execute in real time with uh, data there. Uh, with this, we were able to run up uh, much bigger clusters than uh, kind of what EMR or uh, Athena supports out of the box, but still keep that kind of seamless uh, user interface uh, that a lot of our customers are used to in terms of not having to wait for startup times of EMR clusters and things like that. Um, we'd actually built some pretty cool stuff around this where uh, in terms of our manager, it could see like how many queries are coming in and it could in the background spin up additional uh, EMR clusters to kind of pre-provision things to be ready uh, when it sees it was getting close to capacity. So this was a pretty cool way we uh, handled that. Um, the next thing was, yeah, DynamoDB. Uh, we're still using it in a lot of places. And one of the things we ran into as we started testing was write throttles. Um, so turns out when you want to 10x your traffic, uh, it's hard to scale for that. So what we ended up having to do was kind of not only scale up in kind of the traditional sense, but we really reevaluated our architecture. So one of the things that um, is kind of fundamental to us is that like upfront, uh, what we call fulfillment information, the you know, who you are, what you're watching type thing. Well, within that, there's a lot of redundancy actually, because 
Uh, one of the other pieces of information is like the CDN that you're currently streaming from, the origin that your data is being sourced from. And a lot of that changes uh, and has like, in fact, over like almost close to 100 uh, different versions of combinations thereof. But everything else in terms of like the title, the asset, things like that stayed exactly the same. So instead of writing 100 of these records out, we decided to get a little smarter and instead you know, write one record out on the document that we restructured with an array inside of it. Uh, and then we used an Elasticash uh, cluster to basically store a index uh, of the subarray item ID to like the parent array item ID. Uh, and this was really able to, um, again, let us kind of use the right tool for the right job and not just uh, you know, 10x our load against uh, DynamoDB. The last one was Kinesis data streams. So with 10x the volume of data, it's very, very hard to uh, uh, scale up Kinesis to kind of that point. So we pre-provisioned stuff. We worked on um, things like compression uh, and really had to test the entire flow. We also moved to new um, uh, libraries. So one of the common like open source libraries is the KCL and the KPL, the Kinesis Publisher and Consumer Libraries. So newer versions of those, if you don't know, actually use different APIs um, under the hood that ha don't have, say, like write, uh, read limitations on them, uh, enabling us to actually um, scale at like the higher number of shards that we ended up having to use. So overall, um, what we tested for, uh, for EPL, was three times as much as our global concurrent peak, all within one region. So that's been a pretty uh, extensive process that's consumed the last several months of my life, as you might imagine. But uh, it's actually really cool to um, try and uh, see what you can build and what you can scale out, um, even when you're kind of confined to one region. And the techniques that you can use to still have, like, AZ level and even region level failover um, work um, on something that's so like uh, region specific. So how did we test? We use a concept that we call game days internally, um, which is basically, let's uh, spin up a bunch of load generators, throw them at the services and uh, you know see how well they perform. Uh, this is able to, um, one, it's, you know, you get in, or you get out of it what you put into it. So it's really important that if you do do this type of testing, you make sure that your load generator is actually representational of your traffic or you'll find all kinds of bottlenecks that don't actually exist in the real flow. So the first step was kind of do that. How do we tune um, this traffic to actually look like what our real customers uh, sending us data in the event will be? Um, from there, we can then evaluate the problem. Uh, see what we're running into this time. Did this particular um, service uh, not be able to keep up with the iterator age on its Kinesis stream and it started getting behind? Or did this one over here start getting write throttles and things like that? We can uh, then identify those pain points, scale those back up, uh, make the change and deploy it, and then we can evolve the platform overall and retest the whole thing. Um, it's kind of you know an evolved process and uh, iterative, definitely. Uh, but it's really been able to let us like simulate uh, a very large scale event um, without having to actually have that large scale of event. So we've been able to test several uh, in addition to just uh, different call flows, traffic patterns, so like what happens if everybody comes at once versus what happens if everyone has like a natural distributed curve, um, what happens if people leave during halftime and then we get a surge of traffic coming back at the end or for the second half, uh, things like that that have been able to kind of really 
uh, pinpoint a lot of issues that aren't obvious in the system. Um, but uh, once you actually put them under load, uh, help us find several things that will hopefully uh, make every, our tomorrow a great success. So where do we go next? Um, what's up besides EPL for us? One of the big things is we kind of want to evolve, again, the platform overall. So uh, right now we're using a lot of EC2-based services. We previously tried things like Lambda, and we actually love Lambda. We use it in several uh, of our like more uh, offline reporting uh, use cases or things that aren't like directly in like the high traffic flow, but we really wanted to evolve and move in order to like uh, containerize model and see what that looks like. Um, we additionally want to look at like an overall data lake strategy. We've kind of built like the self-service platform in terms of um, how you can onboard with us internally, share our data, things like that. But we have external partners as well, so we work with people like. Uh, the NFL, Fox, CBS, a lot of uh, Nielsen, a lot of people out there um, that we send data to in real time uh, or want reports like very quickly and we want to have a better way to actually share this data overall. So we're looking at things like uh, lake formation, uh, other technologies like that where we can kind of uh, do that. Machine learning. So one of the biggest problems with having uh, petabytes of data coming into your system is it's really hard to scan through all of that data and look for issues. Uh, so we wanna actually use machine learning in a way that uh, basically can look at our data, analyze the pattern of what's coming in, and find anomalies in it. So if uh, you know, our Android client deploys like a defect where we stop reporting, uh, you know, people started streaming, stopped streaming, hit pause, whatever it is, um, we can uh, hopefully have machine learning uh, kind of identify like that uh, drop of events, tag them to a specific uh, platform that has that, and we can be more proactive about like finding those things in real time, hopefully before they even make it out, instead of like impacting our downstream um, business teams when they come back to us or they report, what happened to all my data on Android yesterday, things like that. In addition, we really kind of want to take uh, it to the next level in terms of like our metrics. So we have very standard metrics in terms of like, uh, you know, what's our buffer rate? What's our error rate? How much uh, HD quality did we deliver? Um, things like that. But I don't think we have a good or like handle on like, are those the right metrics? They certainly, you know, are good things. We want to like, you know, reduce interruptions for customers and we want to optimize on giving the highest quality. Uh, but is it what it also, ultimately drives engagement. And I think that's kind of the big question mark that we're uncertain of. So we actually want to build a machine learning model where we feed it in exactly that. Like, we want to optimize for engagement with the platform overall. What are the key factors going into that that actually like help to drive those things? And really kind of take a second look at our metrics overall and like, is what we're you know, thinking is the most important thing actually the most important thing? Uh, dashboards. So. We've actually built a pretty impressive uh, uh, set of dashboards on top of Elasticsearch right now where we have dynamic um, discovery of things like live events. So in addition to uh, you know, English Premier League and NFL, we have events all the time in terms of like uh, NBA, um, League Pass, uh, MLB, um, a lot of ATP matches, things like that. Uh, so we have a dashboard solution that basically um, automatically discovers these from a back-end API and then applies like dynamic filters on a dashboard that we uh, publish out. 
but it's really not very customizable right now. People basically kind of get the layout that we assign them. Uh, we really want to kind of take it to the next level with things like quick sites where people can uh, use our data not only in Elasticsearch but in S3 as well and really kind of evolve their uh, overall kind of dashboarding experience because uh, a lot of people don't want to engage with our data set in a way that's very kind of traditionally SQL, but they still want to have like the power of all like the filters and group buys and things like that that it provides. And then time series data. So like I mentioned earlier, we use an internal uh, Amazon product um, for kind of time series today, but we really kind of want to evaluate uh, TimeStream, the new AWS product, as a much more natural kind of integration point for our data, as well as again, uh, things that we can share with our external partners, as well as like our internal teams, uh, and just kind of have a more standardized kind of platform uh, experience for all of that. So the key takeaways, um, bare metal versus managed services. This is largely the whole adage of use the right tool for the right job. We kind of jumped in uh, initially thinking that like everything would just be kind of out of the box, it would work perfectly. Um, and we really kind of didn't put the best use cases on kind of the tools that we were using. Um, so naturally we had issues. But um, the big takeaway there was uh, we were able to um, really kind of once we reevaluated our platform, find a way uh, within all the different solutions that AWS has to offer, uh, scale for really kind of any type of load from our traditional uh, blog traffic all the way up to you know, 10x our global peak for uh, EPL tomorrow. Um, the next one is test, 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 test. Uh, and monitor, because I have to plug it, I'm a telemetry guy, right? Um, Basically, if you don't uh, constantly like look at uh, you know how a new service is going to uh, actually function in the wild before you get it out there, you're liable to run into something that doesn't really work right like you think it does, or has scaling concerns that um, you haven't really thought about um, before. So game days are a good way to test things. Again, kind of just uh, traditional load test type scenarios, but make sure that you actually put you know, some effort into them. If you just like throw TPS at an endpoint, but you don't test things like uh, your caching or things like that, you're not gonna get the expected results that you uh, wanna see out of it. Uh, the other one that has saved us countless times actually since this platform has went live is queuing mechanisms. So our switch from synchronous uh, API calls to actually having uh, things like uh, Kinesis data streams or SQS, um, either of them are good technologies, are great in terms of being able to actually uh, control the flow into the system. So now our worst case scenario is really like, are our dashboards gonna be a few minutes delayed versus, oh, we just lost all of this data because our service went down. Uh, so that's been a big win for us. And lastly, no challenge is too big. Um, don't be afraid to take on uh, things, evolve your architecture, retry different things. Some of it's not gonna be successful and some of it's gonna be great but you're never gonna know unless you get out there and give it a try. So, with that, invite Karthik back up here. Right, um, so thanks everyone for attending this session. Uh, please make sure that um, we also have not just breakout sessions like this. We have training and certification and boot camps across the whole um, campus, so please check out our website, take a picture of this slide. Um, there are many workshops over here, so you get hands-on experience on all the AWS products and technologies we're talking about. So please do check them out. And um, thank you very much. Thank you for attending reInvent. Really appreciate your time. Yeah.